You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey everybody, thank you so much for your gracious accommodation for me um, hologramming from Southern California last week. And um, yeah, that was that was a very spur of the moment thing. Uh, Pastor Rick got sick. He's fine. Wasn't COVID. All good. Um, so I want to just pick up where we left off. You could probably tell that the last two weeks have been very engaging for me because I keep wanting to come back to the fact that um, that Matthew chapter five, particularly the first part, uh, the part about the law, is the hermeneutic key to understanding the Gospel of Matthew. And I think several of you mentioned that you really resonated with the um, the iceberg illustration because the law would sort of be the part. Now, again, all pictures like this are imperfect, but the law would be the sort of part that's above, but there's a huge, huge 91% below the waterline. And today, what I want to talk about is actually the concept, the idea of where reconciliation fits into this. Be reconciled. The law applied to reconciliation. So, right, remember we just get the part of it, but we're going to go a little deeper here and walk through uh, this together. So, here, here's, here's, um, I want to open though with a with uh, an example. June seventeenth, twenty fifteen, we all heard the news about a shooting, uh, a mass murder in a Charleston, South Carolina church. Nine people uh, lost their lives when a white supremacist named Dylan Roof joined their Wednesday night Bible study and then began shooting um, at Mother Emanuel Church. But that was not the end of the story. Um, there's justice to be done. There was responses. But for our, I want to focus on one particular thing because during his bond hearing just days later, the Washington Post reported this on June 19th, 2015, and said, quoting the Washington Post, one by one, those who chose to speak at the bond hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness, said they were praying for his soul, even as they described the pain of their losses. I forgive you, Nadine Collier, the daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance said at the hearing, her voice breaking with emotion, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never hold her again, but I forgive you and God have mercy on your soul. So um, the church in Charleston there demonstrated the power, the reconciling power of the gospel more powerfully than anything else I'd seen in a long time. I was actually watching um, CNN and Anderson Cooper was talking about this and I forget the guests that he had, but he was just, they were just like, I don't, they, they basically, I don't have any explanation for this. And I, I, I wanted to say to my TV, Jesus, Jesus, these were people whose faith, I mean, they were at a Bible study. Um, so the challenges, we see a moment like that, right? And it's, 
just so overwhelming, the grace and forgiveness. But this is the reality of the Christian life, the Christian call. If you ever been in a broken relationship, you know the joy and release of reconciliation, even forgiveness. In our text today, uh, Jesus shows us the importance of being reconciling people who seek to be reconciled. Let's take a look at the passage together. It says this, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, we'd say today brother or sister, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So as we've learned over the past two Sundays, Jesus has not come to abolish to tear down or eliminate the law, but he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And as he often does, Jesus shows up with hard teaching with examples. So last week, we looked at the first part of his, uh, the, the, the first part of this first example. Here, here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say, remember that phrase, this can be a common phrase, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to the council, uh, was going to be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. And I recognize that I intentionally did not spend a lot of time on the last point because I think we can get really bogged down unintentionally. What does it mean, you fool? And how did they go to hell? You mean if I call someone a fool, am I going to hell? As I talked about last week, from the murder to the anger example, it had more to do with ascending levels of judgment and it had more to do with the image of God in people. So, And we see that because it goes right into that in the next few verses. So Jesus focused first on relationships, how we treat others. Now we come to verses 23 through 26. He continues with two examples of reconciliation. And I want to quote a couple of people here. The first one is Sinclair Ferguson. Some of you may have heard of Sinclair Ferguson, famous preacher. Um, He says, these two examples are not pieces of advice or laws, either for church behavior or for solving legal problems. They are rather illustrations of how vital it is to have the right relationship with others. The illustration of the man in church underlines the necessity of reconciliation. The illustration of two men going to court underlines the urgency of reconciliation. Okay, so I want you not to miss that because sometimes we get a little confused about what means what. So um, so let's look at, and we're going to look at here, uh, two specific uh, examples And we'll kind of walk through them and then bring a conclusion towards reconciliation at the end. So the first is, is that the impact of reconciliation on worship, the impact of reconciliation on worship. So, and here it is. So, so it says, if you're offering your altar, offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come 
and offer your gift. Okay, so Jesus is teaching on value. It flows out of, you know, don't murder, but I mean, you've heard it said don't murder, but I say anger itself, you know, and he talks about inappropriate anger and sinful expressions of that. So the examples then flow out of that, easily understandable applications, right? The first involves worship. The second involves a lawsuit, a legal proceedings. So as with all of Jesus' teachings, this is really important. They are not the only examples he could use. So just see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is giving examples of how this is lived out. So let's not uh, pigeonhole ourselves into thinking these are the only two ways this could be applied. There's simply two examples that help us understand Jesus' teaching from a practical vantage point. So if you're offering a gift there at the altar, right. So in this example, Jesus illustrates the importance of reconciliation in relationship to worship. Uh, and it's key. We're to put reconciliation with one another above performing a ritual well. Our vertical worship of God and our horizontal fellowship with others are closely related. As Jesus is actually going to say uh, another way, we'll see in just a little bit in Matthew chapter 6, where he says this in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We're going to get to that in, uh, well, I'm not even sure how long it's going to be before we're going to get to that at this current pace. But we'll see, because I got a little slow the last few weeks, so I got to pick up the pace. So... Here the focus is on when we have caused a breach in our fellowship with one another, and the only altar, just so you know, I mean, we, we think of this in a sense of a church context, but the only altar where a person could offer a sacrifice was in Jerusalem. So um, you got to get the full scenario here, right? Because we think of like present your gift at the altar, and maybe we think in terms of communion, which sometimes right before communion, we'll talk about reconciling with others. Um, so, and Sean, Sean did a great job leading us in that last week. So the outrageous scenario here is that Jesus is pointing us to is that a person has traveled maybe three days to the temple to give a sacrifice, just as he's about to place his goat or ram or lamb or whatever on the altar. He remembers that someone back in Galilee is ticked with something he's done. So Jesus says, leave your offering with the priest, walk three days back home, be reconciled, then travel three days back to the temple to worship. Now, as you think about it, it seems improbable. Who would wait until they get to the altar to remember somebody's at odds with them? But then, um, and I can think of times for me when at the checkout line, I remember my wife asked me to go get one more item on the list. So um, Jesus' teaching here is that reconciliation, the remembrance of the need for reconciliation, is actually more important than the ritual of worship. Now, listen closely to what I didn't say. I didn't say that worshiping God's not important. We're to live a life that's in a constant state of worship. But Jesus, um, it's kind of a parable here, shows us um, there's an order. First, then, right? Do this, then. Uh, that should be followed for biblical worship. And early church father, Tertullian, uh, put it this way. Um, he, he actually um, talked about pagan observations of Christians and said, look how they love one another, how they are ready to die for each other. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're hoping that people will say uh, about the church because of this level of reconciliation, right? So... Um, so, so, so we, 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 and we don't know all the details of what's going on here, right? So 
has something against you could be that the first person, right, that, that, that first this person has a claim and he's kind of aware of it, knowing there needs to be some work towards reconciliation. Um, second, it might want to remind us that um, people don't know our grievances. This is something we have to necessarily bring up. People should know if we, I mean, don't, we don't take it inside and, and hide it. Um, so we don't need to fall prey here to the paralysis of analysis, always wondering if we have offended somebody. I've seen people do this and see this passage like, well, who can I possibly have offended? That's not a healthy thing. But when it's clear we have, we're to prioritize reconciliation so we can worship God with a pure heart. Now, I want you to know, this is not everything that the Bible says about reconciliation. Because if right now it's going to your mind, well, what about this circumstance? And it could be something horrible. It could be something uh, illegal. It could be something, um, and you might say, I, I don't need to pursue rec- Okay, remember, this is a general illustration, a, a biblical teaching with a general illustration of reconciling. So take in mind, there's a lot of other wisdom that needs to come here, right? So, um, so that being said, so God takes seriously our attitude and actions towards others. Now, uh, I told you I was going to quote a couple people. I'm going to quote Max Lucado. So Sinclair Ferguson and Max Lucado, very different worlds, right? But Max Lucado puts it this way. As far as I know, this is the only time God tells you to slip out of church early. Apparently, he'd rather have you give your olive branch than your tithe. If you're worshiping, remember your mom's hacked off at you for forgetting her birthday, then get in the pew and f- then get off the pew and find a phone. Maybe she'll forgive you. Maybe she won't. But at least you can return to your pew with a clean conscience. I, I like Max Lucado just says so folksy. Um, so also be reconciled is it's interesting. It's kind of passive. It's literally get yourself reconciled. So first be reconciled with a brother or a sister or neighbor or coworker. Then bring your offering to God. That's an act of worship. Um, and then the question is, is what if you seek to be reconciled and the other person refuses? Or what if reaching out is not appropriate for some specific circumstance? Remember, this is this doesn't cover every single circumstance. But here, we might want to remember the words of Paul. We might want to remember the words of Paul, who said, so in, if possible, so far as is up to you, so far as up to you, uh, be live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. So, okay. So that might not always be your decision. It might not always be appropriate to seek reconciliation in some circumstances, like some extreme circumstances as well. But Jesus is saying, um, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, you will have this desire, this motivation, this intent to seek reconciliation as the normal practice with all the caveats I said earlier, with the normal practice of the Christian life, which leads to number two on our outline, which is the impact of reconciliation in the world. So let's look at this uh, broadly because Jesus now offers a second parable, right, to reinforce his teaching. And in this case, it has to do with um, legal things. Now, we've got some lawyers here at the church, and I actually know that there are um, there are Christian lawyers. I happen to know both of them. Just kidding. Little lawyer joke had to be made. But here's the passage. It says, uh, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Now, notice it's pretty interesting. While you're going with him to court. Rather specific detail from Jesus. Again, uh, there, these examples are are 
examples that really draw our attention in. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and he will put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, I hope that as you read this text, you see Jesus is using very illustrative examples. Um, in the first example, he instructed us the proper ways to worship. If you're walking three days, go back. This is how important it is, right? He's emphasizing how important this. So this example reminds us of the wisdom of being at peace with others in the secular world. So if one was a brother I was going to reconcile with. Now, again, Jesus is not giving specific law advice here um, as much as imparting a general principle. It's better to settle with someone before you get to court because after that, the decision is out of your hands. Um, and in this case, the issue seems to be an issue of debt. One person owes another money, accusers bring in the debtor uh, for the judge uh, when found guilty. Because you notice the details here. The accused is put in prison, not released until the debt is paid in full. Notice the detail here, right? Let's let's go back to the text, right? It says, you will not be, um, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny, which actually other places in the Bible, other places Jesus uses this example of debtor and more. So, so what we're seeing here is there seems to be something related uh, to debt. The problem is with being in jail for a financial debt is that you're not allowed to get out to work in order to earn the money to pay off the debt. So going to a debtor's prison is essentially often a life sentence, uh, though family can be involved, right, and, and help, but there's no way to pay the debt. So come to terms quickly is actually from a verb in the original Greek emphasizing kindness. Be kindly disposed towards your adversary and seek to settle the matter between you. So, okay, so how does this apply to Jesus' teaching on murder and anger, right? So keeping in mind, this is in the context of saying the law says you, sh you can't murder, but I say this, right? So this conflict with others, um, not just not murder, but conflict with others is an important thing that we have to address in this case, or else there's judgment that's coming. So, um, so after this anger thing, right? Um, we, and it's interesting too, one commentator puts it this way in light of verses 21 and 22, they obviously refer primarily to the spiritual goal of averting God's wrath on judgment day. Cause it's too late to change one's destiny. Kind of sounds like that, right? So if that's the case, Jesus' earthly example of settling the dispute out of court points to our need for reconciliation with others and ultimately with God, right? So, but this example, the court example, points to how we who know Jesus relate to those who do not know Jesus. And it's interesting that both uh, Paul, who I mentioned a while ago, Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, in their letters or the epistles spoke similarly about how we're to act towards those outside the faith. Let's take a look. It says this in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, um, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. So that's Paul in Colossians. And then Peter in 1 Peter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So let's go back, right? Walk in wisdom towards our outsiders, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in both those passages, we are told to be gracious and honorable before others. Um, and, and again, back, back to the, the passage here. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer each person, right? Or why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So, so here's the language I like to use, right? We're to, you've heard me say before, we got to show and share the love of Jesus. Well, in this case, it's share, right? So we're to share Jesus well, let your speech be seasoned with salt, and then show that they may see your good deeds uh, and show Jesus well. So share and show the love of Jesus. So what Jesus is doing with the examples of Matthew 5 is not giving us every detail about how to live in every situation. They're giving us two examples showing us how to live in everyday real situations. And our ultimate goal is to glorify God, being salt and light in the world. Remember the salt and light. I looked at Matthew 5. What would we do that? We did that before we started the book of, book of Matthew because we were kind of timing things at the beginning. So you can actually go back if you're interested to look at Matthew 5 online. So the underlying principle that Jesus applies in all these examples, because you could just say, well, Ed, I want, what does it say about lawsuits? What does it say about, what, what should, I, should I never sue somebody? Is that what this means? Not, not the point here. The underlying principle that Jesus applies in all these examples is that the motive of love should be the guide of our lives. Instead of murder or hate, love. Rather than choose to be angry, choose to love. Rather than worshiping with no thought of broken relationships with others, love enough to make things right. Instead of being in adversarial relationships with people in the world, settle disputes as quickly and as friendly a way as possible, guided by love. Okay, so... So again, I, I want. To, there are times when the Bible is very clear that this is how you should act in this way. These two examples are examples of living out the principle that anger is like murder. It's the spirit, not the, just the letter of the law when it comes to murder. It's anger lived out. Here are two ways to reconcile in this. And that ultimately um, points us to number three on our outline which is the goal of the law, be reconciled and a reconciler. Be reconciled and a reconciler. Because, boy, we, um, we live in a world, we live in a city where reconciliation is rare and not a priority for most. I don't know if you've noticed, but New York City is not a natural place where people seek reconciliation. Um, and now we've seen a shift towards shame culture, which is kind of what cancel culture actually is. In essence, it's shaming people. So it's easier to be disgusted with others than to pursue reconciliation. This has spread to the church as well. We're, we're too easily offended or cannot seem sometimes to fellowship with people who don't share our views on a given issue. But the ethic of Jesus is at a higher level. Our goal is not to do the minimum of not murdering people, right? Okay, you haven't murdered anybody, big plus. But what we're going to see is a pattern six times. This is the first of six where Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said that, but I say that this. So, okay, I don't like anybody. I'm rude. I'm angry all the time, but I haven't murdered anybody. So I haven't broken the commandments. So Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Remember the iceberg principle from last week. It's, it's not just what you see above the waterline. It's the whole thing. So we're to show love to others and pursue reconciliation at every opportunity. So let's, let me apply Jesus' words today with specific practices we can all do when it comes to being 
reconciled, right? Let's take a look. This is 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite passages. Just full disclosure, I wrote a book from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, so I love this. It's called Compelled. And here's what it says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's talking about new life in Christ. We've been reconciled. Now we're agents of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then the next verse, it says, be reconciled to God. So uh, in those two verses I just read, four times the word reconcile is used in some way. The only way we can consistently pursue reconciliation with others, have that kind of supernatural thing that we saw from the members of Mother Emmanuel Church in Charleston, is by first being reconciled with God. We cannot love people or live above the division of our time without first being reconciled to God. So again, it's first be reconciled and then be a reconciler. Be a reconciler. Okay, that's verse 20, second part of that, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're reconciled and we are reconcilers, right? So uh, in these two examples, Jesus gives these examples calling his followers to pursue reconciliation in the church and the world, which I think is the best way to understand Jesus' words here, is not this is a specific instruction about immediately like stopping three-day walk and and again, keeping in mind that that I believe the Bible is literally true, inerrant in all that it says. But I think Jesus is saying to us, look at these two examples. Calling his followers to pursue reconciliation in the church and in the world, right? So how would what would that look like? Let me give you some examples from the text of Scripture. Here they go. So we looked at reconciling, but forgiving. Listen to the way that the Bible teaches about this. Be kind to one another, right? Um, forgiving one another, just as God... In Christ forgave you. Reconciliation calls us to forgive. Or how about this? Striving. I mean, these are just characteristics that would flow out of, okay, I didn't kill anybody, so I followed the commandments. No, no, no. Jesus has a loving approach. Striving. Strive for peace with everyone. Actually, loving. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And let's be honest, sometimes that includes bearing with people. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If one has a complaint, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you too must forgive. So let's just walk through the last few weeks, right? Jesus is not abolishing. He's fulfilling the law, but he's helping us to see more than the tip of the iceberg. You shouldn't murder, okay? But it says he's calling us to a lifestyle of love. Then the two examples that he gives are one this kind of ongoing reconciling a relationship that you'd prioritize reconciliation over ritual of worship. And then the second example he gives is the case of settling, and this is more of an example the world may see, of settling with your opponents, um, with your adversary on the way to the court. So I don't think we want to miss this. It's clear that Jesus does not permit his followers to be at odds to the degree they can, with some obvious exceptions that we've talked about before, to be in a broken relationship when we can avoid it. We've seen that from the parables, the examples provided in verses 23 through 26. So I think we should, 
maybe put a few minutes into practice what we learned today, right? I don't expect you to get up, leave a sacrificial goat on the altar, travel back home because we're online this week. So all of you are watching online or maybe with a watch party. But we could begin the reconciliation process right now. If you've been taking notes, right, and you have a piece of paper and a pencil, or you can pull out your smartphone and type out a brief message, consider is there someone that you need to, as a follower of Jesus, be reconciled to? Maybe it's a relative still bitter over the way your grandmother's funeral was arranged. It, maybe it's your grown child who thinks you always lorded your power over them instead of guided them into adulthood. I don't know. And maybe, again, I don't want to simplify this. There's complexities to these things. But to the degree you can, to the degree that's up to you, to the degree the Spirit's prompting you, be reconciled. As far as within your ability, be reconciled. Uh, Warren Risby used to do this thing called the B-Series. Um, be this and be that. He wrote a whole bunch of books on it. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him, and, uh, and I, I didn't. He, uh, they, they, I was interim at Moody, and they invited me down. I think it was Lincoln, Nebraska. I couldn't do it then, and... Then he went on to be with the Lord. And I always think, I kind of always regret having the opportunity to meet him and not meeting him. And I think about what I missed. And that's what I think reconciliation can be. And there might be somebody that maybe this is the prompting the Lord is using that you need to reach out and to be reconciled. Now, Jesus' example seems to point to judgment day one day. Uh, And he taught us last week that only a greater righteousness, one that goes beyond the exterior actions of obedience, will see God's kingdom. So as you pursue greater righteousness um, and you want to see God's kingdom, you're on the right track if you take to heart today's message and value relationships and reconciliation. And that's, I think, the theme here is the greater emphasis, the greater value. And I love I love that, right? Greater righteousness, the recurring theme, is that we would be a people who seek to be reconcilers, who seek reconciliation and that can be a great message for Calvary because, let's be honest, over the few decades, we've had some conflicts. There are people in church right now that you've had conflicts with. And because we're watching online, they're not right next to you, so that's a plus. But, you know, when we become a people who consistently seek reconciliation in families, in churches, and in community, people see that, and they see that something's different in us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have given us such a powerful teaching here, Jesus. And I pray that we would understand it, apply it, live it out, and that our hearts would be inclined towards love, not just, why well, I didn't do this, I didn't do the terrible thing. But Lord, instead, our hearts would be inclined towards love, and we would share and show the love of Jesus by our reconciling heart and actions. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.